Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there, when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hello, cinephiles, and welcome to a special live preview. I am Steve Morris with my partner, John Roca. Hello. And we're coming together because this week we'll be honoring the great Ivan Reitman. Yeah, what a tragic loss for us at such a young age, 75 years old. But he leaves behind an incredible legacy of films, Steve, from so many genres. And uh, I'm very excited that we are going to be talking about 1993's Dave starring Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver, Frank Langella, and Ben Kingsley. It's funny because when you say Ivan Reitman, of course, my brain goes to first to Ghostbusters and then Meatballs and the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and all those things. And I didn't think of Dave right away. And you're the one who mentioned it. I'm so glad that you did. I love this movie. It's fantastic. Absolutely. And the fans may not know this, but this is my first time watching the movie all the way through. I watched it twice for this conversation. So I was very excited to get into it and and, and have a fun discussion with Steve, um, just kind of going through all the greatness that is within this movie. And for those of you who haven't watched the movie or haven't watched it in a long time, please, I would encourage you watch the movie and then come hang out with us on Friday and hear what we think about the movie from top to bottom. Well, and if you haven't seen it, you could go to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream Dave along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. And if you support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles, you will get to hear me satisfy my curiosity by asking the great John Roca what it is like to be a film critic and how that whole process works. 
So if you want some behind the scenes of how the job works, it was an amazing and interesting conversation. That's on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. It's not what you think. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not, but super interesting. And so in honor of Ivan Reitman, we will be exploring the great film Dave starring Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver this Friday on the cinephiles. Let's say the whole country is, is in the car, the entire United States of America. In the car. In the car. I see what you mean. Dave, the country is sick. And you're going to get it to the hospital. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Rokum, a writer, a producer, host, voiceover artist here in San Diego, California. And, you know, Steve, as is our want on this show, we are back to offer tribute to one of the greats that we have lost through the course of doing this show and adjusted our schedule. And today we're talking about one of the one of our favorite directors, I think, and one of the formative directors for a lot of people. That's right. We lost the great Ivan Reitman. And it's, it's so funny, like, as I go and list my favorite directors, mm. the great directors of all time, Wells and Kurosawa and Kubrick and Spielberg and Scorsese, he's not on that list. Right. But if I list the people whose movies I watched over and over again and just were part of my life, he is on the list. Right. Particularly during the 80s and early 90s, I went to see every Ivan Reitman film. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, doing we did our tribute for him on the Geek Buddies recently. Mm. Just kind of cons- it really hit me as I was looking through his list of films like we might sorry if it wasn't for ivan reitman i mean meatballs stripes that is the groundwork you're laying with bill murray and then you get to ghostbusters which launches him into the launches him into the stratosphere but all of that is ivan reitman so you could say de niro scorsese dicaprio scorsese i'm gonna throw this Mm. in here and say bill murray ivan reitman without those deck that combination we don't even have a conversation, but maybe we don't even have a conversation about Ivan Reitman because he's so good at bringing out the best in Bill Murray and kind of steps up to the plate in delivering these great films at that time. Well, and I would say, too, that between him and John Landis, that's yes. what brings that whole Saturday Night Live crew mm-hmm. to the movies. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, all those people, um, you know, they come here because of the guys like John Landis and Ivan Reitman. Yeah. And then he kind of transitions a little bit into doing some movies that move away from bill murray and those guys to some other stuff that i love just as much you know yeah i mean look at schwarzenegger without ivan reitman i don't think schwarzenegger is even the massive success that he is and uh, people be like what that's crazy no it it was ivan reitman who showed you that schwarzenegger could do comedy and that unlocked a a bunch of new fans for Schwarzenegger where the fans before him were all predator and, you know, commando and Conan, but this unlocked children, unlocked moms, unlocked middle-class unlocked grandmothers, unlocked so many people, twins in kindergarten cop is a one, two punch. And then of course, junior, but I don't really count junior uh, showed that Ivan Reitman could bring out the natural comedy essence of Arnold Schwarzenegger and smooth down the rough edges. And that launched him just like he launched Bill Murray with Ghostbusters. I think those films launched uh, Schwarzenegger into a whole new level of fame. 
I 100% agree. I think if there's not twins, then it's not that we don't remember him for Terminator and Predator, but that's all he does. Right. It's twins. And then, of course, Hinderkorn Cup that, that introduces you to Schwarzenegger as a person, yeah. as a movie star, not as a guy with big muscles who's great in these action movies. Yeah. That's a totally, totally different thing. Um, I'll give you a little bit of biographical material. Please. He was born in Czechoslovakia in 1946, the kid of his mom was a, a survivor of Auschwitz. His dad was in part of the resistance fighting, a Jewish resistance member fighting against the Nazis in Czechoslovakia. Wow. And uh, they emigrated to Canada when he was four years old, so 1950. His first gig was working at City TV in Toronto as a producer, a young producer, and he was producing an announcer whose name was Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> then he directed his first movie, which I think is a short, and it's called it's 1973, and it's called Cannibal Girls, <laughs> and it stars Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin. Wow. Way before SCTV. Wow. And then, and I didn't know this at all. In 1975, he produced the David Cronenberg film Shivers. Oh, yeah. Okay. And in 77, he produced Rabid. Okay. I had no idea that he worked with Cronenberg at all. Yeah. How interesting, huh? And then 1978 is Animal House that he's a yeah. producer on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is as important a film that changes film, period, mm -hmm. in terms of comedy. Yeah. And as you mentioned, 1979, Meatballs. What do you think? What did you think of Meatballs? I remember liking it as a kid. You know, Bill Murray, an interesting camp counselor. And, you know, we had a few <laughs> of these, you know, later on, Heavyweights with Ben Stiller. So, I mean, these camp counselor films were part of uh, a few generations' formative experiences. Even now, When oh. Hot American Summer is an homage to those yeah. films, for sure. I think Meatballs is mixed. <laughs> I think I even <laughs> thought it was mixed. Fair. When That's it totally came out, fair. but Bill Murray is amazing. And there are things in that movie that I will never, you know, that we're, cause I watch it over and over again. Same yeah. with stripes. I think, I think stripes, I think we talked about it years ago. We talked about the dirty yeah. dozen, which is stripes to me is exactly like the dirty dozen, which is act one is amazing. Yeah. Act two is really good. And then when they go off to the actual into Europe, it's, you know, it's fine. Right. And I mean, I mean, that's a young Deborah Winger as well. Oh, and, right. uh, and Landis and some great humor. There. I mean, for a guy like me, who's been in the military, the mm. humor he minds and remember how many, we're only a few years out of Vietnam. Sure. So to be able to use this as a place to go and find humor, I wonder how many Vietnam vets went to see stripes and felt like, Oh my God, you know, I could laugh about it. Or maybe for the first time the, the, the war opened up a little bit for them. Not that they were, in Vietnam necessarily, but the idea of, you know, serving and the comedy that sometimes can get involved with an over an over eager drill sergeant or the weird people who join the military that you are thrown into a group with and have to somehow make it work. It's just great. Like Francis. Yeah. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> um, and then 84 is Ghostbusters, which which is one of our earliest episodes. I think mm -hmm. it's episode four or something like that. Wow. Cinephiles. Wow. Um, yeah, we did that before we really had any idea what we were doing. <laughs> um, uh, it's funny when we revisited it for the show, yeah. I liked it less than I had I remembered liking it. Yeah. But it is, I mean, I must've watched it 50 times, but what a colossal leap. Oh yeah. From stripes to ghostbusters. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Stripes is like, Figuring it out, and it's good for a certain. That's that's a dude film, right? Ghost, but Ghostbusters is something that the entire family can enjoy, and somehow 
he found a way to reunite with his part with his friend Dan Aykroyd and you know Bill Murray again, and then Harold Ramis again, of course, who he had worked with um, before in Stripes as well, and kind of put them together in this situation, then and bring in Ernie Hudson and Annie Potts, and it's such a great film. Well, and take what I understand was Dan Aykroyd's like three hundred page insane script right. and managed to figure out what the story would be. I totally forgot about Legal Eagles and that he no, directed it. I, that's one of my closet favorites from the 1980s. Deborah Winkler, Robert Redford, Daryl Hannah, a great Rod Stewart song, um, Love Touch. And it, what's so great is Rod Stewart said after that song was released, he said, I'm never doing another pop song again. It's <laughs> disgusting that I even sang that song. He hated that song for that's years, hilarious. which made me love the song even more. So <laughs> that's so funny. Um, and then 88, as you mentioned, is twins. And when we first were talking about this, that's the first movie that popped into my mind to do because I have such a soft spot in my heart for it. That is one of the movies I went to see it in the afternoon in Marin County. And then I went to hook up with my friends later that evening, uh, Steve Jones, who's been on the show and Jeff mm -hmm. Johnson. And they said, Hey, you want to go see twins? And I went, Sure. So I saw it <laughs> twice in the same day. I watched it over and over and over again. Yeah. That is such a charming movie. And I watched it pretty recently and it totally holds up. Agreed. Uh, you know, and of the th of the four, Chloe Webb is the only one who didn't consistently go on to become mm. someone that you'd see in a number of films. Um, and uh, but we made the right choice, by the way, which I think we've buried the lead on, by the way. Yeah, the movie we are going to talk about is Dave yeah. with Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver. And I'm so glad that you were the one who said we should do Dave and you were mm. so completely right. Well, I'm just it was a matter of factors. It was a combo. I've never fully seen it all the way through. And so I wanted to be motivated to watch it. And I thought this is uh, so many people speak in, in my world, in my life and my friends speak so affectionately about this film. It's got a special place in a lot of people's hearts. And I wanted to understand why. And I thought this was a good way for both of us to kind of take a look at this film again and talk about it and see, because this is right before he starts to make some of the lesser great films mm -hmm. of his career. But I think uh, Dave is the apex in terms of his progression as a filmmaker. That's a, you could see that being a Rob Reiner film as he did later with American president. Totally. That's a mature, uh, well thought out, well constructed film that, doesn't get the same kind of reaction that Ghostbusters or Twins or Kindergarten Cop gets, but I think it deserves a, a place on the mantle of the great films from Ivan Reitman. Um, yeah, it's 93. It's after Ghostbusters 2, which right. is... Which is okay. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, Kindergarten Cop, which is still really fun. Yes. Um, uh, I think this is his best made film. I really do. Exactly, yeah. I, I, I think it's really, really well made. It's 93. And yes, I do think it's also, you know, it's heads downhill from there. Because then we got Junior, which I remember being super excited to go see. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know. Uh, and then you have stuff like Six Days and Seven Nights and yeah. Evolution and My Super Ex-Girlfriend. What I didn't realize was the movies that he was producing. Yes. Like, I didn't know he was a producer on the heavy metal uh, mm -hmm. animated film that's in uh, 81 he produced the beethoven movies which i'd totally forgotten why not with his boy charles gruden yeah exactly he produced space jam and private parts yes uh which i didn't realize he produced old school which to me is like that's like passing the torch you know yes. what i mean yeah todd phillips yeah absolutely the judd apatow school. i mean to me todd phillips and judd apatow you can make that line to harold ramus and uh, and alvin reitman absolutely um yeah i think his and it's so funny because i think one of the things about Dave, it's not that it's not a gimmick. It's definitely a high concept kind of movie, mm -hmm. but it has a sweetness and 
warmth and cons- and it's not just going for the joke. I think that's one of the big differences with Dave yeah. from the other films. It's, yeah, it, there's, yeah. You're right. There's a, there's a maturity to it. There's a sweetness to it. There's um, an authenticity to the interactions to it. And it isn't like, oh, a dreamy version of the world. No, it's actually trying to remind us that we are capable of better even when we are surrounded by people who are giving into their impulses to indulge their worst. And isn't it an interesting film to be talking about nowadays, man? <laughs> There's some stuff in there. Um, I mean, it is literally Capra-esque. You know, it is, it is hopeful about America, but it's got the darkness is there. It's yeah. not saying the darkness doesn't exist. Um, I think we already answered how you came to the film. Did you watch it? You watched it last night? Yeah, I watched it last night and then rewatched it again this morning. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, because I really enjoyed it. I literally went to bed a little bit early. I was like, oh, I'll pop it on. Watched it. I loved it. Watched it again this morning because I was like, oh, I got a couple hours. And it just kind of uh, completely, like, do I want to watch CNN and, and hear about all the madness going on in the world? No, I'm going to put Dave on again and really kind of savor this performance from Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver and the chilling Frank Langella and the very sweet Ben Kingsley. It's yeah. just and, and the and perfectly um, peppered in Charles Grodin, just such an yes. incredibly uh, well-made film, well-constructed film that just, you know, kind of wraps your heart in a nice warm blanket, man. So I saw this to me was peak. I was a huge Kevin Klein fan mm-hmm. from Fish Called Wanda, Silverado. And this is like peak Kevin Klein yep. in that moment where it's like, oh, he's a movie star. Yes. You know, yeah. Um, and so I totally saw it in the theater. It it was in the VHS rotation, watched it many, many times and probably hadn't seen it for at least a decade. And I'm going to say I needed this movie today. Yeah, I really did. It just just like you said, where the world is right now in particular. And just it it's a it's a genuinely good feeling movie. Yeah. You know? Absolutely, hundred percent, um, and that's what makes it just so something that you. It's good to revisit, you know. And if some of you haven't revisited, I hope you revisited it to enjoy our conversation today and feel the same way about it. Still, um, we, I'll give you a little bit of pre-production. It starts, uh, Lauren Schuler Donner, Lauren Schuler, who became Lauren Schuler Donner, Richard Donner's wife. Yeah, met Gary Ross in Stella Adler's acting class in the seventies. Wow! And he later came to her and said, "Hey, I've got this idea for a script." By which point she had married Richard Donner and she's the person who convinced him to make like Lady Hawk. And that's that's how they met. And then they fell in love on that project and got married. And uh, by the way, Gary Ross is the writer for Big. He wrote Pleasantville, yeah. Seabiscuit, Hunger Games. I mean, this is a re- and he had this idea, brings it to her. She's on contract with Disney. Disney says we will not make this movie as long as there is a conservative in the White House. Wow. So they brought it to her in when Reagan was president. Right. And then George H.W. Bush was president and Disney's just going, nope. Wow. And so it's not till she got out of her contract uh, from Disney yeah. that she finally was able to go shop this thing around and Warner Brothers took it on. And this I, it makes no sense to me. But this is what I read, that the first person Warner Brothers wanted to play the lead was Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> who course. can't legally be president right like, it but, doesn't make yeah. any sense at all <laughs> so i don't know but that is what i read mm-hmm. i'm just saying that no surprise and, and then uh the next person who they cast in the role was michael keaton oh wow yeah i could totally see that 
it would be different, but Michael yes. Keaton would be great. Uh, he dropped out, and the next person they went to is Kevin Costner. Again, I could see it. Yeah, totally. He doesn't have. I mean, he's funny. He's not. He doesn't have the sweetness. I think that what Kevin yeah. Klein has is that just lovely sweetness. Yeah, the innate charm. And then they went to Warren Beatty. Oh God. Which is weird because I don't remember. Bullworth is right around this time. Yeah, ninety six. I think is Bullworth. Is that when it is? Five. I think. Yeah. Um, and he is the person who brings in Ivan Reitman. Oh wow! And then and then Warren Beatty drops out, and Ivan Reitman goes to Kevin Klein. And again, this is what I read, but it makes no sense to me. Is that Kevin Klein at first turned it down because he was worried he would be playing a part too similar to the part in A Fish Called Wanda? And I'm like, <laughs> there's nothing similar about this part to A Fish Called Wanda. <laughs> well maybe he sees the guy as stupid don't call me stupid i don't know i don't know um I, it's funny i watched a fish i loved a fish called wanda and i watched it a few years ago and was like it's a little dated <laughs> Kevin, they're all still great yes of course um uh, but then he, real good yeah anyway sorry and as soon as reitman came into the project he knew who he wanted sigourney weaver oh wow um who obviously he had worked before and yeah um uh, and that is all my pre-production. Wow. Wow. So K- Klein came around after Costner and. Um, and Beatty passed. Beatty passed. Wow. And the one other thing I'll say, you know, it's exteriors were shot in D.C. Interiors were all shot in L.A. on the Warner Brothers lot. And this is on the Oval Office set that is used over and over and over again. I couldn't find out if this is the Oval Office set from the West Wing. Mm. It didn't say that it was, but it's like that's a Warner Brothers show shot on the Warner lot. So. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's weird to me that they just have the Oval Offices just in storage <laughs> because they know they're going to be shooting on it again at some point. Yeah. Uh, would you like to jump into the film? Yeah, let's do it. We start with some beautiful, warm music as we fly over the Lincoln Memorial and we're coming into D.C. and we get towards the White House and a helicopter is landing and we have all the pomp and circumstance of the press corps and the Marines and they open up the door. And as funny as I was watching this and the credits are rolling by, I had totally forgotten what an amazing cast this is. Yeah, yeah. From top to bottom, young and also in their prime. Yeah. Yeah. And out comes the president, Kevin Klein, with Sigourney Weaver who is the first lady and they hold hands and they smile and they very ceremoniously hand the dog leash to them as they're walking through and they're smiling at everyone. They walk into the white house and the moment they're inside, toss the leash, they let go of holding each other's hands, barely look at each other, separate, and you yeah. get a good sense of what is going on here. Each, each with their own teams, take yep. them down the yeah, respective always. Yeah. Um, and as we move in towards the Oval Office, the everyone's greeting the president, and we see Laura Linney, Very. who I yeah, who I totally forgotten, and she is a, an assistant of some kind, and she very affectionately <laughs> greets the president. Yeah, um, this is ninety <laughs> what ninety three three. So Clinton's in office. So. He is. Very interesting. <laughs> I'm so curious why they wouldn't do this with a conservative. You know, like maybe they felt that they. It was better with a a liberal president. You could connect the tissues a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah, I think that the not having a conservative president thing is weird, too. And I think it's particularly weird that Bill Clinton is off in office. Yeah. when this is going on. So they head into the into the Oval Office and we hear something about there's some speech that's coming up. And he says, you got someone to double for me there out front. We're working on it, sir. Good, good. Try to find someone that looks like me this time, will you? That last guy was a joke. 
So we know we need a double for the president, and we cut to... Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the president of the United States. Out comes Kevin Klein, Dave Kovic, who looks, of course, exactly like the president. Yeah. Riding a pig. (laughs) (laughs) What a fascinating way to introduce this concept, right? He wasn't some guy they just kind of looked, you know, because this has a man in the iron mask. This has um, Kagamusha vibes to it, right? The idea of finding someone. Sure, Prince and the Popper. Yeah, Prince and the Popper, yeah. All of it. So it's like, okay, how do we? So he's already kind of making a, what, a side gig as Mm -hmm. pretending to be the president in his small town or in these appearances. So it's really funny to already kind of shortcut that. And I wonder if Ivan was like, well, why don't we just say he's been doing it already? And and boom, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden that unlocks so much of what uh, of what you can do with this character. So I really enjoyed that that was the way they approached this uh, situation. And I love the mom and daughter going, is that the president? I hope not. <laughs> so it's very funny stuff, and they're back and forth. Well, and I, of course, I didn't even know who Stephen Root was at the time, but he's the owner of the car dealership. Right. That's right. A very young Stephen Root, yes. And, and by the way, if you know the whole there's no small parts, just small actors, if you watch Stephen Root for the six seconds he's on screen, yeah, you could tell he's a really good actor. Yes. Who's just making the most of the moment. And who is watching this performance as the president, but a very stern looking Ving Rhames. <laughs> yeah, with hair. With the, I, I think this was probably where I first saw him. Oh yeah, um, and he is fantastic yeah. in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we cut to back to a cabinet meeting where we hear that there's this big bill coming through, and the president says, "See, I could veto this Simpson Garner thing if I wanted to, but I don't want to. You know why I don't want to? It's got homeless shelters and Head Start centers, and if I kill it." I'm going to look like a prick. And I don't want to look like a prick. And then this is the key line that sets up his character. I want you to look like pricks. <laughs> Politics is ruthless, ladies and gentlemen. Ruthless. Well, and, and I think, honestly, this is why they didn't want a conservative president oh. when they made this thing is because the stance that he is taking is yeah. the conservative stance. Not a good We're point. Not spend money on social programs. We're going to be fiscally conservative. Right. And since they're they're making this guy out to be a really bad guy, they didn't want it to look like we're making the president to look like a really bad guy. Yeah. Like uh, what Ron Johnson said recently, it's not the society's responsibility to raise your kids. What an absolute asshole of a thing to say. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yes. (laughs) And I love that one of the guys in the cabinet says, but sir, we tried to kill it twice. And he says, I don't think so, Howard. No, if you'd killed it, it would be dead. When I kill something, it always dies. Doesn't it, Bob? And there is Frank Langella. Always dead. Who is so amazingly silently menacing throughout this entire movie. I think he's working through his Nixon, his future Nixon that he's going to do in Frost Nixon. You can see kind of shades of that when you watch this performance as the chief of staff. There's also something, because obviously the guy is an amazing actor. Oh, yeah. And there's something about understanding that the funniest thing I can do is to be completely not funny. Yeah. That is what makes it hilarious, honestly, his character. And this is also where we hear that uh, the first lady is working with these homeless shelters. So if he came out against this bill, then he would be coming out against what his wife is for. Mm -hmm. And then I love how they handle this. He gets up, he's walking around the big table in the cabinet room 
it is almost like I had the thought of like Al Capone in Untouchables mm -hmm. as he's walking behind everybody. I don't want you to do this because you're forced to. I want you to do this because you want to. I want you to do it because it's the right thing to do. I want you to do it because you're acting in the best interests of your country. In mid-sentence, he just walks out the door. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about the president at, at this point? I mean, he's pretty cold. Um, yeah. they, I know they're trying to portray him as a as a as a huge jerk, and certainly his approach to things are but i also sense that this is this is a cold guy so you wonder how this guy ever got elected president and and i remember i go back to that snl skit with phil hartman playing ron reagan as kind of a you know kind of a dopey guy with the girl scouts mm. and then as soon as the girl scouts leave leave he's like this incredible uh foreign policy genius who was commandeering the forces to figure things out to get the right plan in place right. so that quote illusion you know of what politics like the surface stuff and then you go behind the scenes. Certainly happens in Hollywood all the time. The Ellen DeGeneres is the most recent uh, example of that, where you think someone's so sweet, and but behind the scenes, they're actually pretty terrible to people. And so, no surprise that you've got a president like this. And certainly, I've uh, we've heard and read books about people like this, for sure. Well, and I mean that's literally the opening moment where they get out of the helicopter and they mm. fake being warm and friendly yeah. until the moment the doors close. That is what they're saying. And what I think is so great. I, I think Kevin Klein's a fantastic actor. Oh, yeah, man. And and I think his ability, because cold is the key word. Yeah. yeah. He is cold. And then we cut to Dave, the you know, who's the body double, riding his bike through the small town. And he exudes so much warmth and joy and friendliness mm -hmm. in every single moment. And he goes into his place of business because he runs an employment office. Mabel says it's too far on the bus. Jennifer's boss tried to hit on her again, and Lola's been in your office crying for almost an hour. So he goes into the office, and there is Lola, who has been trained on the IBM, and they put her on the wang, and then she switches into Spanish. She's very upset, and he's like, okay, we're going to solve this problem. Because yeah. everyone works on Monday. It's a Every Monday, and everyone works yep. on Monday. And he immediately borrows someone's car keys because he is going to go off to see Charles Grodin. <laughs> Dave, I can't hire anybody else. I can't. Right. She flies on an IBM. I don't have enough work for the people you already gave me. He is so beautifully put upon <laughs> and grumpy and curmudgeonly in every moment of this movie. <laughs> I can't do it. Dave. I can't do it. Because clearly Dave has been bringing him people to hire yeah. whenever he can. And so this guy is like hiring, employing the whole town because he can't say no to Dave. Feel okay about this? Yeah, <laughs> that's such an interesting moment, right? Because uh, it's such brilliant screenwriting. And Steve, I'm, I'm sure you can speak to this better than I can. But the juxtaposition of those two scenes, here's one scene where the guy is taking away funding for these centers yep. and he's threatening their jobs in essence by saying to them, hey, you get this killed. When I kill something, it's dead. You right. guys tried to kill it. You're not good at your job. So I'll find other senators to bring in or other representatives or whatever to come in here and do the job that my party needs to do to kill this bill. So I look good and y'all look terrible. Um, walks out mid sentence. Uh, and then, and then that's that. And then you cut to here and here is Dave uh, making sure these people are employed making yep. going on and being put upon. And you could argue Groden is essentially his vice president. I had never thought about it, but you are 100% right. These are two scenes of people pressuring people to do a thing. Yes. And one of them is negative and horrible and taking funding away from kids. And the yeah. other one and the is warm and friendly and making sure that people have a job. Yeah. 
Uh, I love too. It's such a small touch, but as he's leaving, he knows everybody's name that's yes. there because clearly he got them all their jobs. He's already a politician without knowing he's a politician. Yep. You know? And then after that, he's, I just love it. He's riding his bike home, singing Oklahoma at the top of his lungs. And I love the little bit. And I, I don't know how many takes it took him to do it, but their kids playing ball and the mm. ball bounces and he catches the ball mid bike ride without stopping singing Oklahoma. I mean, you just love the guy. Yeah. 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 And he goes into his house, still singing, and we immediately see that Bing Rames and another guy in a suit are standing in his house. Yeah. Of course, he doesn't see it right away. Keeps singing, and then mid-Oklahoma, he notices them. And it's so funny, because, of course, Ving Rames is the greatest, one of the great stone-faced yeah. silent, but this is the, it's so perfect how he does all of this. And I love that as he introduces himself, he pulls back his jacket, and the first thing we see is his gun. I swear, I thought that was a legitimate deduction. See, I do impersonation, so I, I use that television with my Mr. Work. Kovic, we're not here about your taxes. On occasion for security purposes, the Secret Service hires someone to double for the president at public functions and exposed situations. Your government needs your help. Has that, do you think that's true, by the way? They do. No, they do. I've heard about this before. They do what? have doubles. Yeah. What? Yeah. I know the big thing through the Trump administration was there was a double for Melania, that she never wanted to go to a lot of things. And people were like conspiracy theories about the double for Melania. But I never saw a double for Trump. I think there is. I think yeah. they have done this, but maybe I'm making this up. So so I, I, I maybe we'll, we'll do a little research. To we should do a little short on this and find out. We will find out if there are doubles. And if you subscribe at patreon.com slash the cinephiles, <laughs> you can hear us when John and I discover yeah. if I just totally made something up out of my ass or not. You know what? We should we should do these shorts, uh, new shorts as like special features to the episode, kind of like a full on disc. Sure. That'd be very funny. Sure. Charge a little extra. Come on. <laughs> um, done. Um, <laughs> and I love just looking at the slow smile that comes on Dave's face when he oh. realizes what they're asking him to do. Yeah. We cut to this hotel where um, the real president is going to give this big speech. And, and then we cut to Dave getting his haircut it to look exactly like the president. Mm-hmm. And they are very happy. It looks just perfect. You understand what you'll be doing? Uh, yeah, you, you just want me to wave. Wave from the door, come down the stairs, get into the limo. Because, you know, if you want me to do other stuff, uh, I can. If you want me to talk, don't say a word. And then we see uh, the president come out. He goes out to make a speech, all the greetings with everybody. He makes a joke when he gets to the podium. He talks about their past. And then we cut to Dave, who is watching... Uh, the president's speech and trying to match his gestures and mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And I love the moment before Dave is going to go on where he does totally does the actor warm up. <laughs> you know? Did you have a, did you have a, a warm up? I still have a warm up. What are you kidding? What are you kidding? I always do kind of shake it all out, shake it all out, you know, mess with your vocal cords, go as high as you can, go as low as you can. Uh, and then uh, jump onto that stage and do your thing. Are you kidding? I would warm up like crazy before I walked out for any live event at the Schmodown. That's for sure. Did, did you warm up before this conversation? <laughs> no. Well, no. Yes. <laughs> I recorded Geek Buddies, so my voice was already ready to go. It was in fine fettle? It was in fine fettle. But usually, <laughs> if it's the morning, five minutes before, I'm clearing things out in, in the room and just kind of shaking my body a little bit, just kind of get it moving, you know? 
before when I used to act before in a play, I would do a whole thing. And because I was doing martial arts at the time, like I was doing kicks and <laughs> stretches and I didn't know what the hell to do. <laughs> what the fuck is Steve doing? I don't, know. I don't know, dude. He comes on for three scenes. I don't know. He's, he's got he's got two lines. <laughs> Look at him doing a judo king. <laughs> It's so funny the stupid things you do when you're like 19. Ah, you're young. That's when yeah. to do them. That's when you got to do them. For God. But what makes it work so well here is that you have Ving Rames just watching it. Yeah, <laughs> the stone face. He's here. And the elevator opens up, and there is President Bill Mitchell facing his body double, Dave. And it is real clear that this is the best one ever. Because mm-hmm. the, And they do a great split screen of them looking at each other. And finally, after taking a long, long look, the president says, You're a very handsome man. Thank you, Mr. President. Just get rid of the grin. You look like a schmuck. I I smiled so much watching this movie. Yeah. Watching him walk out with the entourage and realize that he's really being the president and starting to just enjoy it. Yeah. And like going through the kitchen and everyone in the kitchen is looking at him. And then he goes out the door and he starts walking. And first he gives like a little wave and then he gives a two thumbs up and then a bigger one. And then he's almost at the car and you know, he's got to do it. He's yeah. going to have to do it. He's an actor. <laughs> he turns around and says, God bless you. God bless America. <laughs> and Ving Rays is trying to get him out. Uh, and he stands at the door of the limo and says, Thank you very much, you know. As they drag him into the limo and they drive away. So good. And inside the limo, he's so happy and he's so thrilled. And the only one he can talk to is his Secret Service agent. And he just, again, it's that stone look. I'm sorry, I just couldn't help it. I got carried away. I was pretty good, though, wasn't I? But he's winning him over. He's winning him over. Because, you know, I'm sure that guy being in Secret Service has seen a bunch of fake people be politicians and whatever. And so I'm sure he's skeptical about this guy. And then obviously because they're obviously plucking him out of nowhere to become yeah. the president. So he's just watching him, just watching him. And, you know, ironically becomes one of the most dedicated people to him. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think he's winning him over yet. I think at this moment he's just like, Ugh. Yeah, maybe. But, I, it's, you know, there's those little things. Little steps. Because you know? exactly. he's probably looking, trying to find the holes in this guy's character. Yeah. And then the last moment of this scene is he says, I guess something pretty important must be going on for the president to go through all this. Some top secret. Cut to <laughs> clothes, an empty bed, Yeah. the president on top of Laura Linney. Mm-hmm. And you know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they reach the end. And the president really reaches his end (laughs) and passes out. And, you know, Laura Linney does the great, like, Mr. President. And she lifts up his head and he's out. (laughs) Hard cut to the ambulance. And then we get to Frank Langella and Alan, who's like a chief's writer. One other guy's at the White House. This is played by Kevin Dunn. Doesn't look very good. They say it hit both sides of his brain. And even if he makes it, he's going to be a vegetable. But so great to see Kevin Dunn, huh? I mean, we just did, what, Mississippi Burning a few months ago. He mm. was a big part of Ke- of that. And also, right. I'm re-watching Veep every once in a while, just catching up on old episodes. And uh, isn't he great in that show? So to see him back in the world of politics, right, right. president slash vice president, in a completely different way, is great to see in that show. So I can't believe you do this. I know. <laughs> Um, about me at some point we're gonna have to call the vice president 
And this is the beginning, because Bob says, Don't call the vice president. What? Just don't call him out. The guy's in a coma, Bob. I don't give a shit. Bob! This is mine, Al. This is all mine. I made him. I built him. And no boy scout is going to come in here and take it away from me just because he happens to be vice president of the United States. This is very Cheney-esque, isn't it? Like, I mean, a lot of people felt like Cheney was the one who was, you know, kind of constructing the George W. Bush presidency. So very interesting to see that years earlier in this film than when we see it uh, with George W. Bush and Cheney. It has that kind of, he has that kind of menace, you know? Mm -hmm. And certainly we've seen kingmakers throughout the history of politics. They're the ones who can't quite be the kings, but they will make the kings and therefore have access to power through them and control over them, you know? And what's funny is, this is one of those situations where you saw the trailer. You know the movie you're going to see. Right. So, of course, you know what's going to happen. That's what the movie is. Right. And yet, watching the steps to it happening is still totally fun. But I got to ask you a Steve Morse question. Did Bob know he was going to do this just in case? Was this something in Bob's mind you know, we don't get a lot of backstory with them. So did the did um, uh, Bill Mitchell have health issues in the past? Did his family have health issues? So did Bob have like a, a break glass only in emergencies kind of plan in place just in case uh, to keep the vice president from becoming president? Because then he would lose his control over the over the main chair. So first of all, it's a fantastic question I hadn't thought about before, but I, oh. I, I think there's several levels. Okay. Level one, did Bob has Bob always really wanted to be the president? Yes, one thousand percent. Me too. I think so too. And do you think that Bob has fantasized about ways that he could become the president? Yes, me the too. Guy, I like think that, so. yes. So, so I think that's definitely in place, right. and I think it's definitely in place that he's thought, man, if I could get rid of the vice president, man, that would be. And so I, de- I think he's definitely thought about that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's. I don't think it's like he. For me, of course, we don't know, but I don't think he like had a man, his health's not good. And if this ever happens, I would do this and this and this. I don't think he has that necessarily, but I think he's had a whole bunch of thoughts in this vicinity. Yeah. <laughs> so that the moment that it does happen, he's like, well, I could kind of do all that stuff I was thinking about. Yeah. And it's That's ironic because, because he's clearly a guy of action, a man of action. Sure. Here's a moment where he could be completely overwhelmed or completely not sure what to do. He knows exactly what to do and how to employ people to help him pull this off, for God's sakes. Incredible. We're back in the limo. Dave's back into his normal street clothes. And and he's kind of still like trying to sell himself as an impersonator. He's like, you guys want to do something for his birthday? Hey, uh, I got some great birthday stuff. The president and the first lady are going to Club Med, okay, for their vacation. And then the phone rings. Yeah. And then there's a long pause. And he lowers the phone and says, back to the cottage. And the car does a very fast U-turn. We'll admit he had a stroke, but we'll say it was a mild stroke. A mild stroke? Yes. And he ought to be up and around again sometime soon. How? Cut to Dave. I think I've been pretty cooperative. I'd just like to know where we're going. And then he looks out the window and sees the White House. Nice! We're in the Oval Office. I love the first shot in the Oval Office because it's that top-down... Dave is yeah. standing right on the presidential seal, right in the middle of the Oval Office. So cool. And I like the angle, the camera shot, too, because it starts in that top down, and then the camera slowly t- moves down. It booms down until 
it's behind Bob and Alan who are standing behind the uh, the desk in the Oval Office with Dave framed between them. Right. In fact, they're always really imposing over him in this scene. Yeah. Like crowding him, pressuring him above him. Yeah. And this is where I go. I think this is a really mature film for Ivan Reitman. It's very, I mean, when you watch this film, yeah, if you can pull yourself out of the emotion and the characters and the storylines, watching how he moves the camera in certain scenes, watching how he sets the frame for how the actors to convey a certain level of feeling for you in the audience, right? Like you said, the crowding of him, he's shooting it from down, from below up top so that you see how they seem to be bigger than they actually are. And Mm -hmm. that, so you're getting Dave's point of view in that situation. And throughout the film, you find as Dave grows in power, there's more and more space and there's less and less of the feeling of being trapped, you know, which I think is great. Yes, absolutely. They told, that's totally what they do. Hmm. And again, it's the same thing that sort of happened with Ving Rhames where he's first apologizing. He says, I'm so sorry. I know I wasn't supposed to talk. But I saw the crowd, and I got excited. No, no, no. We're we're not upset with you, Dave. We think you did a terrific job. Don't we, Bob? And in the total dead voice says, Terrific. Terrific. (laughs) In fact, we think you did such a good job that we would like to extend things a little. And they want him to come over and sit in the chair behind the Resolute desk in the Oval Office. And you could see the nervousness build of what's happening the reason we invited you here tonight is because something has happened to the president and he starts to get scared mm-hmm. we'd be all right oh yeah probably we think so yes and he asks about the vice president yeah and they tell him that the vice president is crazy <laughs> certifiable certifiable <laughs> and here's how they convince him have you ever driven through a red light Huh? You know, on, on an empty road when there's nobody around and you know what's safe. John, have you ever driven a car through a red light on an empty road where there's nobody around you and you know yes, what's safe? many times. Well, I'm sorry you say that because I actually have the police here. <laughs> uh, statue of limitations, man. I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've done it too. But in the moment before I do it, I go like, should I really do this? Yeah, right. Because you're always afraid like it's going to come around the corner. Something can happen. Well, let's say... Let's say your mother is in the car, and you have to get her to the hospital. You'd do it then for sure, wouldn't you? Yes, I guess I would. I love, by the way, that this is all Alan, and that Bob is just glowering (laughs) over him the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Just motionless. Like, Frank Langella is one of those people who is fascinating in total silence. Yeah, agreed. Dave, the country is sick. And you're going to get it to the hospital. And he looks around the Oval Office and realizes what he's in for. This is a perfect, by the way, if you think about three-act structure, this is the end of Act One. Yeah. It is It is perfect, perfect, like, now we know what the movie is about, yeah. and now we're going to move forward. And it's so funny, because here's the thought that I had. I had the thought of, this plan is so completely ridiculous, and nobody could ever get away with trying like a coup of the United States that's so patently obvious, where it's so, like, all the evidence would point to the fact that this is complete bullshit. Nobody would ever try to do anything like that, John. (laughs) No, not at all. Who would dare? Who would dare try to do something ridiculous? Particularly when it's so 
obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then convince themselves they're doing the right thing for the betterment of the country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it, yeah. Moving on. Um, <laughs> we're up at the president's quarters and they say, that's where the, the, you sleep. And then that's where the first lady sleeps. And that's the first moment that he thinks about the first lady. Don't worry. You won't even see her. They barely talk anymore. You're kidding. It happens. They go into his bedroom and they're kind of showing him around and that he'll be very comfortable and there's the secret service. And then they say, good night, Mr. President. Good night. And they leave. And I love, again, it's really well staged. He's alone in the center of this really, really big room that makes him look more isolated. It makes him look more awkward. It makes him more aware of the situation. Yeah. He walks around, he touches the mattress. He picks, I love that he picks up the phone and immediately we hear, yes, Mr. President. Uh, Nothing. Good night. (laughs) And then we go around the news. And by the way, there are a lot of movies, particularly at this time that started to have real people in them. This one might have more than any other movie I can think of. Yeah, I can see that. There are a ton. White House spokesmen say that the president's condition is far from serious and he should be up and about sometime soon. Um, So they haven't had to call the vice president. It's simple, Alan. We send the vice president to Africa or something. We dig up some dirt on him and then we force him to resign and get our president to nominate a new one. And this is where Alan kind of picks up. He's like, oh, you want him to nominate you, and then we get rid of Dave, and then you become president. (laughs) (laughs) Ruthless, man. Ruthless. Ruthless. Who would do things like this? What kind of person would do this? (laughs) Um, And we also find out that they've paid off the nurses. They paid off the doctors. Right. And who is one of the people being in charge of covering this up is Dwayne. Yeah. It's so funny. You know what else it just made me – what else occurred to me is – because uh, this is very Capra-esque, yeah. is in Mr. Smith Grows to Washington, there's this really, really cynical person who slowly but surely mm. Jimmy Stewart wins over. Yeah. Gene. And that's Gene Arthur. Yeah. And that's kind of Dwayne. Yeah. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Because I think if Dwayne is helping them cover up the stroke of the president, he's doesn't have a lot of true belief at this no. moment. That's what I'm saying. Like He's a yeah. guy who's seen people at their worst and lie and pretend to be better than they actually are. And so, yeah, he knows the president's having affairs. He's in the room where the president is betraying the, you know, the homeless shelters and all the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. He's had to protect the president going into these situations. God knows what he's seen. Yeah. (laughs) The last thing that Bob says is, I just hope this yutz can pull it off. Cut to him getting examined by the doctor. And it's amazing. He's the better health now. (laughs) Than he ever was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's covered so his blood pressure is down. He's got more yeah. energy. Yeah. I love that that they ask him if he's been exercising. And Dave looks up at Bob and, and Frank Langella does the world's slightest nod. <laughs> and Dave, as we're going to see several times, says something that's okay. Yeah. And then takes it a little too far. Bicycling and uh, uh, weightlifting. And then polo, rock climbing. <laughs> And then they say he's going to meet his first people. And they go, are you, rem- do you remember all the names? And he goes, watch. Yeah. And he goes in and says hello and probably greets every single person that works near the Oval Office more warmly in a more friendly, attentive manner than the actual president ever did. Yeah. Some people have that gift, man, to remember yeah. names immediately. Well, and, and you know what else? He actually cares about people. Yes, yes, yes. So it's it's actually easier when you care. It radiates, yeah. And, of course, one of the people there is Laura Linney, who (laughs) 
last time she saw him, he was pretty close to dead on top of her. <laughs> so she is relieved and affectionate, and he is taken a little bit aback. As you said, like where you saw Steven Root and you saw, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be a great actor. Yeah. The same thing here, right? I mean, this is just seconds of screen time. Yep. And Laura Linney perfectly conveys that there is a previous relationship between them. She's not going to go all the way, but she's certainly going to be like, <laughs> oh, you know, she's going to have her feelings for him come through a little bit. And then when she says, why didn't you call me as they're pulling <laughs> him away? I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. So, it's just great, great stuff. And it goes into the Oval Office, sits down on the desk, says, okay, let's get back to work and falls down in the chair. <laughs> and now he has to make the phone call back to his office to tell them why he's going to be gone for a month and not working in the employment office. Um, his monologue <laughs> that yeah. falls apart. It's like we've talked about like with the Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation or the, you know, just the fumbling funny thing. My favorite one is he's describing this person he fell in love with. She's Polynesian. Well, half Polynesian and uh, half American. She's uh, amnesian. <laughs> so funny. So funny. That's a good joke. <laughs> and again, we hear more news, and the doctor now comes out and says he's in great health. The president was able to attend to some official business on Wednesday and continues to be briefed on all areas of national concern. We have the joke in the cut where they're giving him the basic rules of how the government works while he's being briefed on national moment areas of national concern. We're in the press room and he's just loving looking at the teleprompter and all that stuff. The most important thing to remember is his general presence. Presence. Right. Now, whenever he stands at a podium, President Mitchell always has one hand in the pocket of his coat. And Kevin Klein, Dave corrects them and says, that's at a press conference. Otherwise they're almost always on the podium. No, I'm, I'm not certain about that. Oh, yeah. Don't you remember the convention speech? And he starts to do the convention yeah. speech, doing the exact gestures mm -hmm. from the speech. An America stronger than the one we were given. An America prouder than the one we found. And Alan and Bob start to look at him like, oh, this is good. You know, yes. this is just like that scene in Anastasia when if you've seen the animated film, when John Cusack while ago. Kelsey Grammer's characters, when she starts going into remembering things that they hadn't told her about Anastasia, because this is all a, a plot to fool um, the grandmom so that sh she can get some of the money and split it with those two guys. Uh, and so it, it's very similar. They're, they're both of them are saying, oh, my God, he's actually he's actually paid attention to this guy. Right. He's actually good at what he's doing. He actually understands little things. And I think this is the mo mo the moment where Alan starts to care about him yes. more because he gets recognized for the speech, yes. which Bob has probably never never told him he did a great job. And I'm sure Bill Mitchell, Mitchell never told him he, he did a great job. Right. So, yeah. Well, and the other thing, and it's just a small thing, is watch Kevin Klein because in addition to doing the gestures and the speech in the way that Bill Mitchell did them, no. he is gesturing to his own gestures to highlight, to indicate, see, this is how Bill Mitchell uses his hands. It's yeah. really, really funny. Yeah. And in this moment where Bob and Alan are looking at him in kind of stunned silence because he's so good, we break it because then <laughs> Dave looks down, sees a pen on the podium and says, can I keep this? <laughs> So he's got to make an appearance with the first lady. And they explain that they, you know, they don't have much of a relationship anymore. All you have to do is go out on the balcony for a moment and wave and just say, thanks for doing this, Ellen. And he repeats it. 
And she walks in with such anger. Yeah. Why can't you die from a stroke like everybody else? Oh, that's how acrimonious this relationship had gotten. My God, to lead with that, dude. And he stares at her again. There's so Kevin Klein's so good. There's so much going on because first he's totally taken aback. Yeah. Second, she's beautiful. Yeah. Third, she's the first lady. You know, like he's having all these things and he's just totally, totally stunned. And I think a forethought might be him. The the It's dawning on him how bad this relationship is. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Who was she, Bill? Another patriotic secretary? So obviously it's not the first time. Yeah. Thank you for doing this, Ellen. Go to hell, Bill. She heads out on the balcony and they go, you're doing just fine. And he goes out with her and she's now putting on the show, smiling. They hold hands. They yeah. wave. Mr. President, how are you feeling? And Bob is giving him cues from behind. Fine. Fine. Ready to get back to work? You bet. You bet. And she's like looking at him going, what's going on? Mr. President, Mr. President. Mr. President. And yeah. he doesn't know what to say. Yeah. And Bob says, go, meaning get out of there. And finally, Dave just says, go, go, go. <laughs> Don't you have anything to say to me? And he says the line that he's been told to say. Thank you for doing this, Ellen. You don't change, do you, Bill? The end of this scene is such a perfect button. Mm -hmm. Because he, being feeling really upset about it, says, She hates me. And they, together, are thrilled and say, Yes! <laughs> because that means if she hates him, he succeeded. Yeah. They fooled the, the first lady who should know better than anybody if it's him or not for real. Yeah. And then we go to it's it's a montage of like of the things they're having him do. One of them is he's playing with a bunch of babies. And of course, he's having a ball. Yeah. And then we get to this scene where he's in a hard hat and they have him put his arms into these robotic arms. And they say this machine will do whatever you do. And he yeah. and he moves these huge arms around. And then he says, I once caught a fish. This By the way, I wonder if that's a little bit of an homage to um, Aliens with Sigourney Reaver and the totally arms. I just as I was watching it the second time this morning, I was, it, that occurred to me. So I was like, oh, maybe that's a little bit of an homage. By the way, I'm almost positive that I once caught a fish this big was in the trailer. <laughs> oh, was I, it? Okay, I think so. I think so. And then he even starts. He does the hula dance, and you can see him totally winning everyone over. Yeah. Then he goes into Louie Louie. Yeah. And people are singing with him yeah. and laughing and enjoying him. And he's and then the dogs that he held by the leash and then tossed the leash, what the president, the actual president did. Now we cut to Ellen Sigourney Weaver watching him on the White House lawn, just wrestling with the dogs yeah. and smiling. Yeah. And then we cut to the press <laughs> talking about what the hell's happened to Bill Mitchell. Yeah. And even cut to this moment where talking to Bob is Tip O'Neill. Yeah, I love it. Tip O'Neill's great. It's yeah. so so nice to remember him, man. And then we get a, the Jay Leno joke. I mean, there's a lot. There's so many people in this movie. Yeah. Because then the next one we get is Arnold. Right. And, and, and it's a bunch of kids, and Arnold's doing what he was. He was the presidential physical fitness representative, I think, under started under George H.W. Bush, I think. What you don't want to do is eat donuts. And Dave spits it out. And then shakes his hand, and then the and then Arnold basically takes him down. 
And then we cut to, and this is just, it's all the fantasies because now he gets to throw out the first pitch of the baseball game yeah, and does it great. Have you ever wanted to throw out a pitch at a baseball game? Yes and no. I think I'd rather do one at a minor league game than a mm-hmm. full on like, because I mean, so much can go wrong. And we've yeah. seen so many people like athletes at the highest level of their sport be completely incompetent in throwing a baseball across the plate like carl lewis oh my god it was the worst oh i don't remember that oh it's horrific what carl does it's a lot of pressure it is and it's not it's and that uh home plate is a lot farther than you think once you get out there on the mound yeah well and i you know i haven't thrown a baseball in a long time oh yeah i mean there was a time you know i played little league i did all that stuff where i probably feel pretty good about it I haven't played baseball in 20 years. Yeah. And then we cut to, I am guessing that you watch the McLaughlin group. Of course. I love the McLaughlin group. Issue number one. The new Bill Mitchell. Two weeks after his brush with death, the president is suddenly bounding around the country with the energy of a high school track star. And I love the ratings on a scale from one to 10. It's an eight. The zombie is gone. It's a three. The zombie will return. You're all wrong. Cut to the kitchen. He is peeling carrot peels into a sandwich and talking to Ving Rains. First lady and the president. What is that? I mean, how, how long has that been going on? I can't say. You mean you don't know or? And then he imitates his voice. You can't say. <laughs> I can't say. I love that without asking him or saying anything, he cuts that big sandwich in two, yeah. puts it on two separate plates and puts one plate for Dwayne. And now he asks him about being in the Secret Service. The way they say that you'd take a bullet for the president? What about it? Is that really true? I mean, would you let yourself be killed to save his life? Certainly. It's a great little button, right? Because as they, when they have their final conversation, it's a nice little seed to plant. It's so I guess I should it's say that, that leads to a nice little comeback. Yeah, because the next thing he asks is... So that means now you'd get killed for me, too. And what's so, I think Ving Rhames is an incredibly underrated actor. Oh, yeah. And I think because he does this particular thing, the sort of stone-faced guy, Mm -hmm. so well that they would always have him do that. But he can do so much. But even in this stone-faced moment, you watch his eyes when Dave says this. Yeah. Because he hadn't exactly considered that before. Yeah, that that would be a possibility, right? Yeah. And now he's thinking about, well, would I do that? Yeah. You know, this isn't the president. This is just some schmuck. Yeah. You know, he seems like a nice guy. And I'm helping Bob. I'm not helping the country or the president. I'm yeah. Bob. Yeah. And then we hear that Alan has scheduled a whole day with Dave and the first lady. And Bob is pissed off. Caring about his wife, spending time on her favorite issues. I don't want him caring about his wife. Because what's funny is Alan has slowly but surely started to think of Dave as a president. Yes, absolutely. And then we also hear that we figured out how to get rid of the vice president which is there is some first thing called First Liberty, which was some scandal that Bob and Alan and President Mitchell almost got caught with, and they're just going to pin it all on the vice president. And the other thing that Alan brings up is, look at Dave's tracking polls. 73% with seniors, 84% with working mothers. Alan, we still got to control this guy. Cut to the limousine. It's, It's Ellen and Dave, and they're driving. And then Ellen moves her leg, and her skirt kind of opens up a tiny bit and mm-hmm. reveals a little bit of her slip. And Dave definitely notices her leg. And she notices him noticing her leg. Mm. And we get to the homeless shelter. Good morning, Mr. and Mrs. President. 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 Good morning, Mr. and Mrs.
morning, kids. How are you? Thank you for that nice welcome. And here we have another actor who I had no idea was in this movie, which is Anna Devere Smith. The very young Anna Devere Smith. Very young. And she's great. And she yeah. gives the introduction to all these homeless kids. And he asks where the parents are. And it's like some of the parents are in other shelters. Some of them are still on the streets. And and by the way, you can tell that Ellen is very poised in front of the press. And yeah, is, yeah. is pushing this issue that's really important to her. And as all of this is happening, Dave looks over and sees this one kid playing all by himself with a little like fire truck. And he goes over to the kid. Yeah. And the press sees that the president is going over to this one kid and all the press and all the cameras and all the microphones start to go over with the president to watch. Yeah. And Dave sits down on the ground right in front of the kid. Did Bill Mitchell ever sit down on the ground? Probably not. And Ellen notices that he's talking to this little kid. What's your name? David. David. Great name. And the press is all there. And what does he do? He turns around and says, Hey, guys, not now. Okay. And the press leaves. This is where the movie's getting me. And he has this scene with the kid. And he does the little magic trick where he makes a coin disappear. And Ellen is watching. And she's smiling. And I love that he goes, Is the first lady still there? Mm-hmm. She looked mad. Not really. It's a great scene. Yeah. What's so good about this movie and why I'm really glad I watched it is it makes you feel that politics and people being nice as possible. Yeah. And as you said, I think you nailed it at the beginning of our conversation that it's Capra-esque. Oh, yeah. You know, the idea that, you know, there are good people who want to help, who actually yeah. want to change things. It's the people who are, you know, um, have a naked desire for power are the people who ruin things in politics, right? And mm -hmm. uh, trying to stay there at whatever cost, flip-flopping, switching on issues, whatever they need to do to stay in their positions of power, that's where it gets corrupted or gets corroded. And so this film gives you a little bit of belief that things could be better if we had the right people carrying people in positions of power. Yeah. Well, and I think it does something else too, which is it says that people who care and are kind and gentle and loving inspire other people to care. Yeah. They bring people with them. It used to be the thing. That used to be the way we did things. That used yeah. to be the way we did things. And that has not happened in a very long time, sadly, and over the last uh, few years and last 10, 15 years, we haven't really had that, you know, and, and it's a shame. It's a shame. Well, and, and the reality is again, you know, obviously you and I have our political positions, but sure. Both sides thinks that the other side doesn't care. Yeah. Well, and in talking about how people's attitude can change the attitude of people around them, now we get another scene with Dave and Dwayne. Mm -hmm. And it's different. Yeah. Because now he's going through, they're looking at like their press clippings and stuff. And he's pointing out that here's Dwayne in, in, in the picture with him when he had the big machine arms. Yeah. And Dwayne, instead of being stone-faced and uninvolved, says... This me? Yeah. Looking very strong and uh, forbidding. <laughs> I love this relationship. Have you ever thought about, like, wearing a sweater or something? Just kind of, you'd blend in more. Kinda... And in the first, the very first expression of Dwayne himself, not Dwayne the Secret Service guy, he says... Sweaters make my neck look too thick. <laughs> really? Like a, even a sweater vest? You could wear a tie. <laughs> you think a sweater vest would look good on me? It's so great. Such a nice exchange. It's great. And then there's Bob who gets a new bill that Congress has just passed. He walks into the Oval Office. He sits behind the desk. He signs Bill Mitchell 
the president's name, yeah. pulls out the stamp, and vetoes the bill himself while humming hail to the chief. Oof. Yeah. You know what I wonder, Steve? I wonder if people like Cheney, like other chief of staffs, watch movies like this. And look, we all live in the real world. We all watch movies. And I wonder if maybe they watch movies like this and, and see themselves in these characters and wonder about themselves in these characters. If they're aware of the fact that they are doing things like this. So I always wonder about that when I see things like this, because it's it's a pretty accurate description, even though it's played for a fantastical story. It's still pretty accurate that you could believe someone who'd be willing to install a fake president would also take care of signing the bills and vetoing sure. or approving things. And as he said near the beginning, you know, I made this guy. No one's going to come in and take it. I made him, uh, you know, so there's a sense of ownership that the presidency is kind of have his in his mind. You know? I think two things. One thing I think is that signing the bill and vetoing it yourself in a dark room is pretty stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like those are big vetoes and signatures. Those are big things that people really pay attention to. Yes, true. You know, so I don't think it's the best of plans. But I also think that there was a whole bunch of stuff that a few years ago I just knew was totally impossible and could mm. never happen in America. <laughs> and I don't think those things anymore. But it's but it's changing. I don't know about you, but I feel recently like just some of the stuff I'm reading, some of the news I'm seeing, like people are seem to be regaining their sanity a little bit. And maybe not the screaming loud ones on the side who've always been there, but I think the more middle of the road Americans are starting to kind of wake up from whatever has been happening. And I hope that bears itself out um, as we go forward uh, with the country in the next, next few months and next few years. You know? Wait, are, are you the hopeful one of the two of us now? <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel it. I don't know why, you know what I mean? I'm an empath, but for whatever reason, I don't feel as hopeless as I have felt in the past, these last few weeks certain things have happened certain news stories have broke certain um behind the scenes machinations have been reported and it makes me feel like anger can only fuel you and hate division and all of that can only fuel you for so long eventually people get exhausted by it people get exhausted by it and they go you know what it's not as bad as this person is making it seem I want to go back to feeling okay or good, you know, and maybe this was, maybe we went a little too far. And so I, I feel like that's what seems to be happening as I read more and more of these news stories and stuff behind the scenes. So I don't know. I just, I'm always hopeful for the country. Even if I'm critical, I may, I'm always hopeful behind my criticism. That's always the place it comes from. God bless you and your hopeful soul, John Roca. <laughs> I hope that this is, I hope this is right. And everything you say is true. doesn't mean I won't still call out people, but of course on Twitter, as I love to do, but I, I certainly would, I certainly just feel like things seem to be changing because I think certain people in power wouldn't be doing the things that they're doing either behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. If they felt um, the other situation was still, still legitimately had the same kind of power that it had in the past. So. So we cut from Bob uh, singing hail to the chief as he takes the president's veto and vetoes a bill to the presidential shower. And oh, yes. Kevin Klein singing hail to the chief while showering. By the way, he sings hail to the chief. He's the one we all say hail to. Which I swear to God, Alan Alda sings when he becomes chief of surgery in MASH. <laughs> I was even looking for the clip, but I think they were I like... I, 
I really wonder if they were consciously referencing a mash moment. Maybe, maybe. Uh, you see a little out of focus of Kevin Klein's butt. Yes. And as he's singing and showering, the door slams open and in comes Ellen, who yeah. naturally she can walk into her husband's bathroom. That's totally normal. And she is furious. I can't believe you would do something like this. Not even you. And he's shocked and scared that this woman is naked and this isn't his wife. I'm talking to you. Will you please turn around? And he awkwardly and sheepishly turns around. And there's this moment where she says, You know, if you want to be the same old selfish. And she, there's a look. And then she continues. Bastard. Um, go ahead. I've gotten used to that. But don't put on this man of the people routine and then do something like this. And he doesn't understand what the hell she's talking about. You know very well that was not a works bill that you vetoed. That would have given those children homes. When I think of that spectacle you put on with the little boy and the magic trick. Wait a minute, what's wrong with the magic trick? And this is a great line. It was some magic. You made their funding disappear. If there's been some mistake. There's no mistake, Bill. When you veto their funding, that's not a mistake. When you hurt someone intentionally, that is not a mistake. I wonder who she's talking about, Steve. I don't know. I don't know what she could possibly be talking about. <laughs> and she goes out, and he turns to Dwayne and says, Call Bob. Call Alan. Tell him I want to see them right now. But it's 1030 at night. You got it. Let me ask you a question. Now, yeah. at this moment in the movie, when you see him say that, are you like, oh, damn. Yes. This is not going to be good. But I respect the fact that he's like calling these guys out. Let's see what happens. Well, but that's what I think this movie does. It's not, I don't think this is a realistic movie, well, but I do think that this movie does a really good job of going through the steps to get where it's going. Yes. Agreed. And the thing too is, well, we'll get, we'll get to the next scene because we get to the oval office and Bob storms in furious. What the hell is this? Dave holds up the newspaper and says, what the hell is this? Pointing to the vetoed bill. We vetoed that. No, we didn't veto anything. And, and again, Alan and Bob are perfect. They do different roles because yeah. Alan is the nice one yeah. who's trying to explain things in a reasonable way. And Bob is just dangerous and angry. Yeah. And then as Alan's trying to explain it, Bob says, listen, you little shit. Dave, Dave. And Alan settles him down a little bit. Yeah, it's close to a physical confrontation. Yeah. Yeah. We saw those kids. Yes, you did. And if you can find a way to cut $650 million from the federal budget, you can keep your lousy shelters. And then... Oh, and by the way, don't you ever send for me again. Oof, that was such a lie. Again, it's a perfect storytelling in the cut because he just said, find a way to cut $650 million. Cut to this kind of beat up station wagon pulling into the White House. (laughs) And there is Murray, (laughs) which is Charles Grodin. And you just go, yes, <laughs> here comes the, the anxious accountant. Yeah, so good. And, and then we, again, we're in the Oval Office and he's trying to get Murray to sit behind the the desk. He doesn't, he want doesn't to want to love He's like, I don't want to do it. Don't, don't I don't want to do it. It's okay. Hey, hey, I don't want to sit, sit in that chair. It's okay. I don't want to sit in that chair. Please. Murray, come Dave. on. It's okay. He's so funny. This place is probably bought. His nervous, grumpy, curmudgeonly. All of that is hilarious. You got to help me cut the budget a little. You got to cut the budget. Yeah. About $650 million. And Murray's like, no, yeah. I want no part of this. Nothing. And Dave goes, 
You look hungry. Could you arrange for dinner for two in the dining room? Right away, sir. Oh, and uh, do you think they could uh, rustle up some fresh bratwurst and some hot mustard? I think that can be arranged. And Murray says, I love bratwurst. I know. <laughs> he just knows how to get to Murray. He knows. Yeah. Well, and he knows people. I mean, this is yeah. what's what, and I'm, this is why I'm so glad you said the thing we said very much in the beginning is he was being presidential at the very beginning of the Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. From the beginning. He knows you get more flies with bratwurst than you do by threatening people. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to, they've been eating and there's papers everywhere. And Murray says, I'll tell you, Dave, I've been over this stuff a bunch of times. It just doesn't add up. Who does these books? I mean, if I ran my business this way, I'd, I'd be out of business. Yeah. One of the brilliant things about this movie is that even though we could say it's some, it takes a somewhat political stance. It man- manages to pick its issues and ideas mm. in ways that everybody can accept them. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, a guy saying these books make no sense. Mm-hmm. We all like, yeah, we all like the idea that someone's going to look at the government and go, Oh, I know how to fix this. That's every four years or every six years or every two years. Someone is running saying that, you know, I know how to get it done. I know how to make those people in Washington. Listen, Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and we all know that there are a lot of stupid, inconsistent, redundant, wasteful bits of spending in the government. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. We all know that that's the case. Yeah. And having some schlubby, grumpy accountant (laughs) look at it and go, well, this is a mess is great. So what can we do? You know, I see a lot of places you could say, but, you know, I can't make those choices. I mean, I'm not the president. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, the one, you know, pretending to be the president. <laughs> and Dave says, let me give it a try. And suddenly we know like, oh, they're really going to do something. Cut to Bob singing, humming the 1812 overture. as He gets towards the cabinet meeting and there's a big, huge crowd. Dave opens the meeting by saying, uh, okay, before we get started, uh, a couple things I'd like to go over in the budget. And Bob and Alan react. I think I found some ways to put back the homeless section of the Simpson Garner works bill. Bob stands up (laughs) thinking he can take control of this. Mr. President, I don't believe that's on your agenda today. No, it's a last minute change, Bob. What's so great is that, and what's so stupid about Bob and Alan's whole plan is that this guy can destroy them at any second. Yeah. As long as he does it publicly. This is what was brilliant about what um, Dave does here is he calls the cabinet meeting or he calls this meeting and has witnesses. Yep. So Bob, without betraying himself, can't stop him. It's brilliant. And I love, too, that because he has witnesses, he can pressure everybody to do what he wants them to do. Right. Which is it's funny because Bill Mitchell pressured everyone. There were right. Not because they're witnesses, just because he was mean. Right. And this guy says, you know, first thing he brings up is this defense contractor. And we're still paying them even though they're late. Yeah. Like, why are we still paying them on time if they're late? And the defense secretary of defense? Uh, well, in a sense. And then you see him look up and see all the cameras around him. And he says, yeah. And I love, too, that Dave has a pad of paper next to him. Okay, so that's 23 million times 12 months. And then he says the Commerce Department. And at this point, the Commerce Secretary is clearly nervous. Yeah, yeah. You're spending $47 million on an ad campaign to boost consumer confidence in the American auto industry. It's designed to bolster individual confidence in a previous domestic automotive purchase. So we're spending $47 million so that somebody can feel better about a car that they've already bought? 
again, it depend, my, this might depend on your politics, but you could definitely find a lot of weird stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. That you're like, really? This is what we're spending it on? Yeah. And he puts that commerce secretary right on the spot. I don't want to tell some eight-year-old kid that he's got to sleep in the street because we want people to feel better about their car. Do you want to tell him that? And he looks around <laughs> and he goes, no, sir. And then he looks right at the camera and says, no, I sure don't. It, it's so fun. Yeah. And, and you watch it and you go, man, why can't the government work like this? Yeah. Wouldn't this be nice? Because you have to have a bunch of like-minded people who actually want to do the work and change things and then have power in both houses of Congress. Yep. To be able to do that. And we cut dissolve to later and he's doing the final math problem and they have come up with $656 million, which means we can keep the program. And at this point, everyone is on board. Yeah. They're the all. Th- yeah. yeah. Well, and, and like they started with a problem and at the end they had solved the problem. Yeah. And so everybody feels great, including Alan, because Alan is another person that's getting won over. Yeah. By his natural charm and, and care. And I think deep down when Alan started out, he probably did want to do good things. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Right. But, you know, got himself in this situation. And and he even went along with Bob at the initial start of this whole thing because Bob was his access to power. And he didn't want to upset the apple cart. And so he went along. And now he's realizing there's something more here to this guy. Speaking of Bob, by the way. Yeah. He's not happy. I'm going to kill him. You can't kill a president. He's not a president. He's an ordinary person. I can kill an ordinary person. Bob. I can kill a hundred ordinary people. (laughs) That's a fantastic line. And Alan reminds him he said what you told him to do. You said if you could find $650 million, you could save the shelters. He was only doing his job. Alan has started to see Dave as the president. Yeah, yeah. In a weird way. And now Bob is losing it. It's not his job. It's my job. Bob. You call and Alan has to physically take Bob to like a corner. Yeah, to restrain him. Yeah. And Bob is wigging out. But I love that in the midst of the wig out, like a someone walks by and they both smile and say, hi, Judy. And then <laughs> yeah, goes right great, back right? into the wig out. It must be an inside joke. Because, I mean, it just seemed like an odd thing to throw in in the middle of the argument. I'll destroy him, Alan. I'll shred the bastard. Don't do this. Lock him away for good. Then we'll all go to jail together. What do you mean by that? Just what you think I mean. Are you threatening me? And there's a real close-up, and then he says... Well, yeah, I guess I am. And Dave walks Murray back to his car, thanks him, and Murray, in a whisper, says... Get out of here as fast as you can. Uh, Dude, that's my favorite moment of him in the whole... Like, very funny at the beginning, very funny when he comes in to do the budget. But that moment, he represents... A lot of regular people that people want to vote for the president. They certainly want to have a president that they they like and they believe in, or the lesser of two evils at the at its most uh, lowest form. But they also know like the madness of the White House, the madness of Washington is not anything they want to be a part of. And so when he tells him that, it's one of those real authentic moments there in the middle of all this kind of um, hyper. Uh, um, a fantastical approach to this film. And he says, get the hell out of there as soon as you can. Cause he's also worried for his friend. Yes. He doesn't know what's going to happen with, 
people like this around him. Yeah, Because it's not just an ordinary person in an ordinary situation in Washington. He is pretending to be the president who's in a stroke. I mean, this is he's participating yeah. in a coup, in, a coup. The, in the United States. Yeah, this guy could die. Like, you got to get the hell out of here. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Dave is up in his uh, quarters in the residence, and he's got this weird uh, racing game, horse racing thing he's doing. And he says, come on, number seven. And then we hear Sigourney Weaver say, come on, number six. And she's thanking him for what he did today. It kind of reminded me of that thing you did a long time ago in the state legislature. Oh, yeah. Me too. You weren't in the state legislature. Yeah. And that's when she knows. And she stands up and she pulls out her hand and says, Hi, I'm Ellen Mitchell. Who are you? It's great. It's a great moment. Yeah. Perfectly set up. And it's not, it's not a big, it, there's no histrionics. Nope. There's all, how could you do this? I don't, no, it's, she's a woman who has experienced God knows what. And she's always kept a level head. And even in this situation, and this has been growing, obviously we're going to have the conversation when she tells him what she found out, but Clearly, she's been figuring this out step by step. And finally, here's the here's the moment where she wants to kind of trap him to see if he's the real guy or a fake guy. And boom, there it is. Well, and what's interesting, too, is she's not furious. That's what I'm saying. She's not mad. Yeah. She is. There's a lot of things going on. And one yeah. of the things she says is. I never see him anymore. I barely know him anymore. I just kind of like to know where he is. Which is a really reasonable course. This is her still, it's still her husband. Yeah. She had feelings for him at some point. I think she still does in terms of, you know, yes. Is there hate? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? Is there frustration? Sure. But at the base level. The shared history. Yes. There's something there. Yeah. And there's a long look. And then they're with Dwayne. And he takes them down into the elevator, into the, what I assume are the bowels of the White House. Yeah. Through a giant security door, through this like. It actually reminds me of going in to look uh, to look at uh, Thatcher's diaries in Citizen Kane. Oh, interesting! Yeah, yeah just because yeah. you're going through these weird rooms, yeah. and, we, and the nurse kind of freaks out, and there's a security guard there, the, a, a Secret Service guy freaks out, and then they open up this door into this insane-looking, long gray hospital room. Yeah, and there is the real Bill Mitchell on a vent, yeah. unconscious. And they tell her that this is it's he's not going to make it. Basically, yeah. by the way, Dwayne leading them down, I think, is the first act of Dwayne, like yes. you know, coming on to Bill's or Dave's side, and the fact that he's willing to risk exposing Bob's secret yep. to the first lady. God knows where this could go um, because of his growing esteem for mm-hmm. Dave. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm glad you mentioned it because it's real subtle. Yeah. Like they don't make a big thing about it, but Dwayne is now Team Dave. Yeah. We're back up in the residence and she is packing. You're leaving? I'm not the first lady anymore. Shouldn't be here. And that's when you first notice that he has a bag too. Yeah. So he's leaving. And I love that he's got, you know, some towels and some souvenirs. (laughs) You make this little deal with yourself that you can put up with all the other women and you can even do without a life and... You can even do without children and because you believe in what you're doing and you think. You thought you had a chance to help people. We really like her. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, oh, this, yeah, no. she she is his kind of person, I think. Yeah, but but she is my one criticism in the movie in that, you know, this is 1990, what, three, new, three. 92, yeah, 93. 
this is a character that she's kind of turned into a little bit of a, of a fantasy in the way that she immediately, mm-hmm. you know, cause the fact that he looks like him, uh, she accepts the kind of, uh, delusion that happens here. It's, it works for the film that she kind of yes. goes along with it, you know, but, um, maybe nowadays, if you were to make a film like this, you let her have her own agency. She figures this out and talks with her, her own chief of staff, her own uh, kind of assistant there and have the conversation and have separate conversations. And then there's more of a planning going on with them together. Once we get to that moment where they want to kind of throw Bob out of the white house. So, yeah. But other than that, I don't, I don't have any real criticisms of the movie. It's such a fucking great movie. I I think, I think this is a fantasy and I think Mm. like the element in which that we're just going to get into that she's essentially falling in love with the dude that looks like their husband that she hates who is dying, who he was part of the plot to essentially overthrow the government. Like, like the fact that they fall in love is I totally buy in the movie because they're great. Kevin, yeah. Kevin, Sp- Kevin Spacey, Kevin Klein, <laughs> and Courtney Weaver are fantastic. Probably, and that's a difference. They have fantastic chemistry, so I totally buy it. But I also go like, man, this is a weird situation. Yeah, <laughs> strange stuff. They sneak out through some tunnel in the White House, and and Dwayne has left them a car. When did you uh, first know? I mean, about me? In the car, I think. On the way to the shelter, you looked at my legs. Bill stopped looking a long time ago. I thought maybe he was in the shower. No. <laughs> then, as they're driving, it seems like he rolls a stop sign or, you know, makes a turn he shouldn't, and there's a cop car. Yeah. <laughs> and they get pulled over. That's a perfect little oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Step out of the car, please. Both of us? Yes, both of you, please. They do, and I love the slow, the cop doesn't notice right away. Yeah. And then there's this moment that he goes, I don't know what I was oh thinking. Oh, gosh. And Dave, being fast on his feet, goes, we're lookalikes. We're, we're lookalikes. <laughs> we don't look like each other, but I mean, I know what you're thinking. We, yeah, we, people hire us to impersonate the president and the first lady. We just played the Saperstein wedding. <laughs> and then you remember how he said to, to Dwayne that he had this Club Med sketch. Yeah, yeah. He goes into he it. doing it. And you watch Ellen watch Dave do this. Yeah. And it's so fun. And then he starts singing some come out tomorrow as Bill Mitchell. Just thinking about tomorrow. Clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. And just as she stops, he stops. She joins in. I love you. It's it's a mixture of shock horror and <laughs> a little bit of awe watching him yes. come up with this uh on the fly and improv as an actor does about this whole scenario and then she joins in which is a great little uh back and forth with them well and what's funny you and i just did with mike vogel a movie that has a very similar moment because in love actually when mm-hmm. you grant is singing yes. the good king wenceslas and suddenly the secret service guy starts singing behind him and he looks that's the same thing happens here yeah. is she starts singing and Kevin Klein like looks and then they sing it together and it's not perfect, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really funny. Tomorrow, tomorrow, we love you. Tomorrow, you're only a day away. And then I love that the cop 
tells him he's not going to give you a ticket because you guys need to save all your money. And then privately says, listen, you're very good. Thanks. But she needs a lot of work. She needs a lot of work. <laughs> the actual one. Oh, um, so good. So good. He gets a giant bat of good groceries because he's going to make a very special sa- sandwich. Yeah. And they're sitting, you know, looking out over Washington, D.C., eating sandwiches and talking. So what do you do the rest of the time? You mean when I'm not running the country? Mm-hmm. I run a temp agency. You know, secretaries and stuff. You mean you find people jobs? Yes. Is that funny? It's just more than most people do around here. And she asks if he's married. And and again, this is where you see great actor. Because you see a whole history in one line. I was. Once. Didn't take. That's a whole lifetime you heard in that Yeah. It, it, and we don't know what that is. We nope. never find out what that is. Nope. Yeah. So interesting. You know, Dave, it is Dave, isn't it? I can't keep all of this a secret. Which is right. This is where I go like their Bob and Alan's plan was real weak. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this is real tough to actually make up on make the work. fly. What do you expect? Yeah. I like doing it, though. I mean, not the fancy stuff with all the helicopters and the TV cameras, but I like saving that shelter. I liked helping people that I hadn't even met before. Just then I felt like I wasn't pretending anymore. I don't think you were pretending. That is a great moment. Yeah. Really great. And then she asked the next important question. What would you do if you were still in there? I mean, if you had one more chance to be president, what would you do then? And there's a long pause, and he thinks, and he says... Lots of things. And again, this is the end of Act Two. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like these are perfect yeah. moments where you where you go like, okay, I know what's going to happen next. I know where we're going. And they drive back to the White House, and at the cards they go <laughs> like, sir, you can't park here. There are no visitors. And then realizes it's the president and first lady. They walk back upstairs. They're back in the residence. He hands her the suitcase. They stand very close to each other. Yeah. And they just stay there for a moment, and then she says, "See ya." <laughs> We're on a tour and it's Bonnie Hunt. Yeah. How great. Just a quick little cameo from Bonnie. Yep. Yeah. And as she's giving the tour with a lot of the, we're walking, we're walking, we're stopping. And then Bob Alexander just blasts by furious. He's walking. He's Bob Alexander, our White House chief of staff. I can't believe it. This is great, right? We, this is the first time we're seeing, and this is, again, this is so great about acting and it's so great about the right director. Bob is furious, but Bob looks a little oafish here as he's mm-hmm. walking. And I wonder if Langella is kind of throwing a little color of that on how Bob is walking. Because the last time sure. we've seen Bob walk into a room or walk anywhere, there's a real menace to him. And here he's a little bit off center. And so there's an extra amount of speed in his walking that makes mm-hmm. him look a little oafish. And so when he walks through, he doesn't have quite the same power that he did before, and certainly we're going to find out why. And one thing we find out is that apparently Dave has planned a press conference. Yes. And so Bob storms into the Oval Office thinking he's going to control this, you know, yuts yeah. that he called him before yeah. and keep him down. What do you think you're doing? You mean the press conference? I uh, have a couple of ideas I wanted to share with the country. You don't call a press conference. I call a press conference. You're nothing. Do you understand? You're nobody. I'm not nobody. With just great, quiet strength. 
blit. You're a flea. You're a blit. Maybe I am. But you're fired. Right there. Boom. And this is where we realize Bob has no power. No. I'm fired. Yeah. You're fired. Fine. Fine. Whole press corps is right out there. Should I go tell them? Or did you want to? And right in this moment, as Bob is dealing with that idea and realizing how little power he has, the door opens and we hear... Darling, they're all waiting in the press room. I really think you ought to get in there. Oh, Bob. I'm sorry. I thought we were alone. And gives Dave a kiss on the cheek. And Bob is like, what is going on? <laughs> like your resignation on my desk by the time I get back. Don't touch anything on that desk. Don't touch anything on the desk is great. Uh, and then we're in the press conference and there's Helen Thomas. I mean, it's like, yeah, uh, who is a classic woman who'd been part of the press corps for, I think, since Kennedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Since yeah. Kennedy. Absolutely. That's where she yeah. was working. New York, New York Times? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just so many people that show up in this movie. Yeah. And he gets up and Alan is there, nervous and watching. I've uh, asked Bob Alexander to resign as White House Chief of Staff. Over the last few months, Bob and I have come to believe in different things. He thinks this country's fine and we should go about doing business as usual. I just don't feel that way. There's a thing that would come up a lot in uh, when I was teaching. Yeah. Is that a student would have an idea and they go, like I have a student who goes, like, I have a religious figure who's going to, like, save the world. Or I have a great politician who's going to make the great speech or a great poet who's going to write the great poetry or a great scientist who has the great idea or philosopher or or a criminal that has the great master plan. And then as they were doing it, they would suddenly realize that if they wanted to have a character in their movie do that, they have to come up with a great poem, a great master plan, a great speech, a great song, you know. Yeah. And suddenly they go, oh, shit, this job is a lot harder than I thought it was. Yeah. You know, because you can't because that's hard to do. And I, I think in this one, they really managed to weave a very simple, really, really good one that isn't, again, it's not left or right. It's one where we can all feel kind of good about it. That first statement is totally not political. We got so many problems that we don't even want to look at them anymore. They just blend together into this great big noise. And pretty soon we can't even hear ourselves think. Everyone goes like, yeah, there are so many problems and there can be so much noise, it's hard to concentrate on things. But that's not even the worst part. The worst part is that we feel like we can't do anything about it. And that's a tragedy. From today, I'm going to make it the responsibility of this government to find a job for every American who wants one. Again, that's where I go. I think this was a brilliant choice because he didn't say, I'm going to save the environment. He didn't say, I'm going to build up the military. He didn't say, I'm going to lower taxes or I'm going to create national health care service, all of which would have one side or the other angry about it. Yeah. Saying, I want to make sure everybody who wants a job has a job. We'll go, yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Right. If you've ever seen the look on somebody's face the day that they finally get a job, I've had some experience with this. It's- which I love. No one's going like, what does Bill Mitchell have experience yeah, yeah, with people yeah, getting jobs? Yeah. But of course, it's Dave Kovic that has this experience. Right. And he says, they look like they could fly. And it's not about the paycheck. It's about respect. It's about looking in the mirror and knowing that you've done something valuable with your day. Are you on board with President Dave? I think it's point? great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Of course. And if one person can start to feel that way and then another person and another person then pretty soon all these other problems that we're facing may not seem so 
impossible. You don't really know how much you can do until you stand up and decide to try. You know who they cut to first when he says that? Dwayne. Ah, yeah, yeah. Because you see him, I think it's, I think he switched to Team Dave. Yeah. But there's a difference between really liking the guy and wanting to help the guy. Right. And believing in the guy as president. Yeah. Which I think he does now. And I love that as he's exiting and leaving sort of the press corps going, what the hell just happened? That Helen Thomas says, thank you, Mr. President. And then we go around and we get more people. We got Chris Dodd. We have Al Simpson as a reaction. We have um, uh, Tom Harkin. We, and I love the, the last one is Paul Simon, Senator Paul Simon, who ran for president in 88, I think. Yeah. It's a little bit like the program I presented when I ran for president four years ago. That bow tie of Paul's. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's so funny is I can't think of Paul Simon without thinking of Al Franken doing oh, Paul yeah. Simon on Saturday yeah. Live, who later became a senator. <laughs> this is Paul Simon. <laughs> this Paul Simon was great. Um, and then we get back to the Milwaukee group. And then the best one is on the Larry King show is Oliver Stone, who says oh if God. you compare the pictures before and after the stroke, <laughs> there are differences. Are you saying this is a conspiracy? Yes, I am saying this is a conspiracy. <laughs> I think it's Oliver. I think you need to calm down, Oliver. It's so great. And Oliver's even insisting. He's like, have you looked at the pictures? If you looked at the pictures, you know, it's funny watching that moment. Of course, it's played for laughs. And of course, the inside joke being that Oliver Stone, yeah. JFK movie and all of it. It's perfect. It's perfect that Stone is still willing at, well, at that time, willing to poke uh, a little bit at himself, be a little self-deprecating. It's brilliant. But nowadays, you, this kind of conspiracy stuff is on the news all the time. This kind of madness. So um, it's just funny to see it played for laughs when now it's part of the political discourse, unfortunately. I, I think it's hilarious, but I think part of why they got Oliver Stone to do it, he's right. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Exactly. It so, is a conspiracy. Exactly. Exactly. They are not the same person. It works on both levels that you yeah. would pick a guy like this, which makes so much sense. But the fact that he's right and no one else believes him is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave, who's been watching TV, turns off the TV. And then you hear a muffled soprano singing <laughs> The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. And we cut to Ellen singing into her own pillow. <laughs> it's very cute. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Dwayne. He's going over the news now with Dave. Dwayne is not only fully on board. He never did this with any other president ever, yeah. you know? And then we hear... Mr. President, Mr. Nance is waiting for you inside. Uh, who? <laughs> we have a joke about that. This is the vice president. We cut into the Oval Office scene. Ben Kingsley holding a spear, listening to African-themed music. <laughs> I... Ben Kingsley, also one of the world's great actors. Absolutely. And this performance is unlike any other Ben Kingsley performance. Yeah. Yeah. He is so solid or stolid. He is so like self-contained and, but you can feel all the emotion underneath what he's doing. And he presents him with these gifts from Africa. And he says, may I speak frankly? I know we haven't always gotten along. I know. We've disagreed politically, and I suppose I know what you think of me personally. But I've always tried to respect the role you wanted me to play. Basically saying, I've been a good vice president. Yeah. And then the anger comes out. He says, damn it, Bill. How could you do something like this to me? I didn't have anything to do with this first liberty nonsense, and you know it. And of course, Dave has no idea what he's talking about. All I've got is my integrity, Bill. Okay? That's all I have left. Now, I don't know why you turned your attack dogs on me. They're not my attack dogs. What? 
I'll take care of this. So now there's one more problem he's going to have to solve. And then Bob has a press conference. Yeah. And he basically announces that, in fact, it was President Mitchell who was behind this First Liberty thing. Yeah. So he creates a scandal that's going to destroy Dave. And listen, he's not wrong because no. President Mitchell was a part of it. He was. But not Dave. And so right. this is where uh, he feels he's got one last card to play here to possibly retake some power. And this is where Dave finds out that, no, he really did do it. Bob's not yeah. making this up. Yeah. And now we go back to the news and jokes from Jay Leno about now him going to prison, <laughs> which again, this is how all of this plays out, yeah. you know? And then he's back in the Oval Office and the vice president comes in again. Whatever happens, I just wanted you to know that I think your jobs program is a wonderful idea. And then he finally gets Nance to sit down and talk. And he asks him, do you ever think how you got started? This is such a great scene, man. It is, man. Well, and this is where Ben Kingsley... Yeah. can come in and with a couple of lines saying something completely simple yeah. make you totally care about him and be involved in his story. I was a shoe salesman. Not very happy about it. One day, my wife says to me, why don't you try running for office? You know, you talk about it all the time. Why don't you just go do it? So I tell my boss, I have a dentist appointment and I go down to the registrar of voters on my lunch break next thing i know i'm a councilman and he asks dave how about you kind of the same way <laughs> which is funny because no that's really not how he got started i don't know how bill mitchell got started but that's not how dave got started <laughs> no vice president's a good man isn't he yes he's a very good man and you could feel all the subtext yeah i don't want to lose you i'm really glad they don't kiss yeah moment. yeah um, we wait for it. Yeah. Yep. And we hear that he's requested a joint session of Congress and to talk about these allegations. And again, we have all sorts of newscasters and stuff like that. Then we cut to Bob, who's having a party with all of his people, including Ben Stein, who <laughs> walks in. And we even see that there is a Bob Alexander for president sign. Right. Because he thinks he's totally destroyed Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's like, and, put that away. It's not the time yet, bro. Yeah. The false humility. Right. And it's the joint session of Congress, and Dave walks in. There is a smattering of applause as he makes it to the podium. Wish I could be here today under different circumstances. Certainly are a lot of things about this country that we should be discussing, but I realize that's not possible now. And he talks about the allegations. He reads what Bob Alexander's allegations are, mm -hmm. and he says, okay, let's get right to the guts of it. Each one of these charges is absolutely true. And there is a reaction that goes around. Yeah. And Bob thinks he has it. Oh, ho, ho, ho. die, you punk scum. Which, again, I think, Bob, you're kind of dumb here. Well, anger makes you stupid. So I take full responsibility for every one of my illegal actions. But you see, that's not the whole story. And I think each one of you is entitled to the whole truth. And then he pulls out the proof that it was really Bob Alexander was involved in all of it. Mm -hmm. And the re and I love that we're back with Bob and his party, and you could see all the people standing behind, sitting behind him, and their reactions <laughs> to hearing this news. And then he clears the name of the vice president, says none of that is true, and apologizes to the vice president, and they shake hands. And we cut back to Bob at the party. No party anymore. Mm -hmm. Bob is entirely alone. Everyone has gone home, man. <laughs> and this next thing he says, it's again, it's so perfectly done he says i'd like to apologize to the american people you see i forgot that i was hired to do a job for you 
And that was just a temp job at that. It's so funny to me, this scene, what he's saying, because he's taking on the sins of Bill Mitchell. Yep. He has taken on the sins of Bill Mitchell to clean, to cleanse the country. Yep. I'm not trying to make a Messiah situation out here, but there are elements of that. He is, he is someone who's plucked out of nowhere to assume this huge job and then is willing to take the sins on and take the punishment of that. And of course they have a whole thing staged which we'll get to, but I think it's a brilliant decision. And to kind of get, and then what we're going to get to here in just a second, this the shaking of the hand of the vice president mm-hmm. is such a fantastic moment in this film when we've had that conversation between them when they're talking about how um, the vice president started in politics. And so just a really um, phenomenal construction of a scene here with this whole thing that's going on. It, it's so good. And, I, and what he's doing, because he's a sinner, essentially, yes. he's, yeah. is that... And then he's saying this real truth about what is right. Yeah. I think it's just what you say. He is he is framing this is what the president should be. Right. This is what public service should be. And because I'm actually a bad guy, yeah. you will believe me more in right. a weird way. Yeah. You see, I think there are certain things you should expect from your president. I ought to care more about you than I do about me. That's a great line. Oh, I agree. A thousand percent agreed. Yeah. And then I don't know if this is in the writing or this is in the acting. But the way this next line comes out is so great because he says, I ought to care about more about (laughs) is that he stumbles over the words. And at first you think he stumbles and maybe he does because he's being emotional, you know? Yeah. And then later we go, oh, maybe he's stumbling because he's faking having a a stroke. Yeah. But I love that piece of writing. I ought to care more about more about. I ought to care more about what's right than I do about what's popular. I ought to be willing to give up this whole thing for something I believe in. Because if I'm not... And he hesitates. If I'm not... And he touches his face, and you see him staggered a little bit. Did you know what was about that? No, I had no idea. I thought he was going to be like, and I'm going to step down from the office of the presidency and hand it off. And I had no idea they were going to stage this. What a a smart decision. Because I'm sure at the moment that you figured it out, which is right in here, you went, oh, my God, that's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. It's so good. And he collapses, and and Ellen is watching this, and she puts on her coat, and the ambulance comes in, and the gurney comes in, and there's a huge motorcade heading to the hospital, and out of the ambulance comes Bill Mitchell. Well, we don't know. At the first moment, he's like, oh, is it? Yeah. Is this Dave or is this is real this president? Yeah. What's happened? Yeah. And then Ving Rames watches that gurney go into the hospital and he goes and gets in the front seat of the ambulance and sitting in the passenger seat dressed as a paramedic is Dave. Well, well, you okay getting home? And they shake hands. And then man, this moment, my guess is you wrote to me that this movie made you cry. Yeah, this was um, the first one that got me. Because I think you've forgotten. Yes. Dave, I would have taken a bullet for you. And that's great screenwriting, writing, Steve. You do enough between mm-hmm. that line in the film and then revisiting that line later on that you as an audience member go, oh, yeah, oh, that's great. It's, it's great writing, man. It's great. And you see Kevin Klein take that in. Yeah. Yeah. Really? He holds on. He holds on to it. It isn't a oh, thanks, man. And then walks out. He holds on to it because it's 
because he's a genuinely nice person and he knows yep. that he has won over yet another person and he wants to respect that that person has given him his esteem. So he holds a little bit longer to make sure he understands, Dwayne understands that, hey, I appreciate this. Well, it, it's more than that, though, too, because it's not like if I say, John, I think you're a really good guy. I really admire you. Mm -hmm. That's not the same as me saying I would die for you. Right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that is like. Yeah. Yeah. That he would surrender his life. I guess you're right. Surrender his life to him over even more than the esteem. The fact that he yeah. would surrender his life to him. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, And it's saying like, I see you. I I took this job mm -hmm. where I said I'm going to give up my life to save the president. And that's how I feel about you. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and he heads out. And by the way, I'm going like, you don't even have like a pair of dark glasses or a fake mustache or anything. I mean, dude, you look exactly yeah. like the president. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, the hat, you know, <laughs> sure, it's, it's like the Superman Clark Kent yeah, thing, exactly. I think. And he walks away. And just as he's walking away, another limo pulls up and there's Ellen and she looks around and she sees him walk off into the distance. It's a great shot. Yeah. Right. As he's going over the hill, man. Yep. In the fog and the, yeah. the, the way it's lit. It's really great. I think it's and, a, I think it's an illusion. The Dion song, remember the Dion song, Abraham and Martin, like oh yeah, going, yeah. going over the hill or whatever. Sure. So I'm walking over the hill, the illusion. And so I think the way they frame that might be an illusion to that because that's also kind of a political song. So, um, and then you know we hear the news that the president had this major stroke, and then we kind of the news goes forward because we hear that now the vice president is being sworn in because five months later, Bill Mitchell died, and yeah. that we hear in the vice president's speech that he's going to carry on this jobs plan and that Bob Alexander was indicted 48 hours after passing the bill Mitchell jobs bill. Yeah. So we're kind of wrapping everything up and then we cut to campaign headquarters <laughs> where Murray is again, very nervously going, we don't have that many buttons. We have to save it. Don't use up all the posters because Dave Kovics is running for office. Running for council. Yeah. And while he's doing this, he's still doing the job of getting people work. Karen, you got a job. Thank you. Well, it's Monday. And uh, everybody works on Monday. And while this is all happening, we see Sigourney Weaver dressed very differently with like a, a baseball cap and just in a jacket and jeans walk in and they go, oh, are you here to volunteer? And she says, sure. No one recognizes her, <laughs> apparently. Apparently. And wearing a hat, Steve. You can't recognize her in a hat. <laughs> and he spots her. You look great. I saw you on TV at the funeral. That's finally over. And as they're talking with a lot of connection and chemistry, you see Murray <laughs> sort of pop up behind them, looking really stressed out. <laughs> oh, Charles Gordon. So good. That guy is so damn funny. Yeah, and he was. goes, well, maybe we should go to the office. And he heads to the office and Murray is just staring at them. <laughs> and this is the thing. So I go, okay, wait a minute. A guy that looks exactly like the president yeah, yeah. is running for office and he's going to have a relationship with the former first lady. Like, hey, just for counsel, though, it's a small job, Bob, in a sure. small town. You know, it's not going to be that attention grabbing. But they start making out and, they, and he looks up and there's the blinds on the glass window of the door and they close the blinds. And I would have gone. That's a great opening. Great final moment of the movie. Sure. But then Ving Ring stands in front of the – he's wearing a, the one of the buttons for the campaign. The only thing that I think would have made it better, I wish he was in a sweater vest. <laughs> That's, That's a great point. Yeah, that would have been good. It's great. And, of course, that is the end of Dave. Yeah. 
Um, someone needs to teach Kevin Klein how to kiss on screen. But other than that, I thought it was a really nice. It's, I mean, he looks like he's mauling her for God's sake. Anyway, but yeah, what a fantastic end moment. And certainly having her come back. And of course, because, you know, she cares about him and she's genuinely fell in love with him just like everybody else. And you say this like, oh, it'd be kind of crazy if the, you know, vice president, sorry, the uh, first lady got involved with someone who looks just like yeah. former president, or whatever. But like, because he's so nice, I think people would get over it. They would get past it. I think there would be such a stink because everyone would speak so highly of this guy. And if he was a fake president and did all this stuff, he did all this stuff that really helped the country. So how many people would be willing to put this guy in jail or, or try him? I bet, I bet they would just completely blow over eventually, you know? Well, and yeah, I, I, I go, but I go back to what I said before. I think this is a fantasy. If this yeah. is Cinderella, this is, you know, like this is, this is the princess getting away from the evil prince and getting with the, it's like, it just, yeah. it's, it's fine. Um, the movie debuted at number two behind Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Oh, the Rob Cohen film. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And then and then in its second weekend, it moved up to number one. It uh, earned a total of $91.8 million. Uh, it was nominated for screenplay. It did not win. Uh, that was the year the piano won. And this is the 94 Oscars. This is Schindler's List. And yeah. I mean, this is a this is a tough year. Apparently, they made a musical based on Dave. Oh. Which I think would be a fun musical. Yeah. And that is everything I have. Would it have Oklahoma in it? Or do you have to sing some other song? I oh, it's a good it. question. I wonder what the rights are for yeah. things like that or Annie. Um, do you have final thoughts? Final thoughts, man. This is a, such a fantastic way to honor Ivan Reitman. Watch the greatest of his films. It may not be your favorite, but it is the most complete film that he has made in his entire uh, career, and it's one to really enjoy an artist at his apex and watch how deftly he's able to make you go into the world of politics and care for these people and find the genuineness within it that we all hope is there, that we want to be there and make you kind of believe in that again and flesh out these interesting characters with all these and a great cast and kind of bring you into this world so believably. And the villain is a villain, but he's not like super evil. So you're able to kind of like go along with the fantasy and really dial into what Kevin Klein is doing. As a Steve referenced here, this is one of the greatest Kevin Klein performances just before he starts becoming like a bit actor or occasionally a performing ensemble stuff, but rarely reaching the heights again. Yeah. This is one of his last ones you can truly appreciate. Uh, Sigourney's still working, of course, but this is Sigourney also at the height of her powers as an actress and her energy, her essence, her charisma is all there for you to enjoy. Incredible writing, great direction, fantastic movement of the camera by Ivan Reitman and staging of things here. This is just such a phenomenally, um, surprisingly great film that somehow escaped my... Um, desire to see it for 30 years so it's kind of crazy and all i can say is um thank god i waited for the right time to see it um and uh we will all miss ivan reitman but what a great film to for us to talk about to offer a tribute to his legacy i couldn't agree more and i'm so glad that you suggested we do this it's because like i think we live in very cynical times mm. we live in very distrustful times we live in a time where i think people have less faith in government than at any time in my lifetime. Very true. And I lived through Watergate, you know, uh, and I think everyone needs to watch this movie because I think we need, if we're going to fix anything, we have to start with a little tiny bit of belief that it could work and a little tiny bit of belief that people care and a little tiny bit of belief that there could be someone in government who's actually doing what Dave said, which is caring about the 
the people that elected them more than they care about themselves and caring about doing what's right more than caring about doing what's popular. And so I'm, I, I'm sad about the reason that we did this film, but I'm really glad that we got to do it. So that's what we think of uh, Dave. We'd love to hear what you think. You can visit us on our Facebook page, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you can leave a review, please leave it. Anywhere you could leave a comment, we'd love to interact with you. You can buy or stream Dave through Amazon Prime at cinephiles.net. You can support the show and suggest a film or listen to our cinephile shorts. We had a new idea for extra bonus materials that maybe we'll put out on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. And you can follow me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. And if you like Star Trek, you can listen to Enterprise Incidents. I'm right now editing an episode that John Roca appeared on, which was Journey to Babel. So I think that's going to come out next week so check that one out and uh, john how people find you you can always find me at the roca says on twitter and on instagram and tiktok and uh the outlaw nation on twitch doing uh, uh been doing some nice watch alongs the nfl playoffs doing that show john and show live at 3 p.m pt on twitch but also now finally uh finishing up my overlays that i'm going to be having now uh, going to be laying down uh, doing movie watch alongs there so you can hang out with me we can do movie watch alongs do some commentary stuff there and maybe i'll bring on some special guests uh, mm. in the future here uh to do some watch alongs with me uh, for you all there on twitch uh and of course uh, my other podcast the top 10 and the geek buddies that is out there for you all to enjoy and have some fun with for sure but always head over to my youtube channel youtube.com slash john roca trying to get over or john roca says trying to get uh, 25,000 subscribers as soon as possible. We're almost at 21,000, so come be a part of it uh, and enjoy the content we do there as well. And Steve's going to be showing up a lot more on the Outlaw Nation this year for sure. Looking forward to it, and I will bring my armies of followers to make sure they subscribe <laughs> to your channel. <laughs> so I think that's it for this week. We will be back next time with another great film on The Cinephiles. 